Okay, so let's look today. We are in Lesson 46. We're going to look at Paul's defense before Agrippa. Paul's defense before King Agrippa. So notice with me, first of all, we're going to look at his defense in verses 1 through 23. So let me, let me just kind of read you these verses, okay? First of all, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, that because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg that you would hear me patiently. My manner of life from youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They know me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Now I stand and am judged for the hope and promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This also I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission from the high priests, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not 
disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Okay, so let's take a look here at what's going on here, his defense. All right, so notice now, King Agrippa permits Paul to speak for himself before those who have gathered. So I want you to notice, first of all, that there is a protocol going on here, okay? Paul is a prisoner, but yet he still is operating within the established protocols as far as how to present himself, how to act before the king. Now, last week I told you that King Agrippa is not a righteous man. He's in a relationship with his own sister. He's a very evil man, but yet Paul is conducting himself in a way, as we're going to see here, that is very much following the protocol of the time. Okay, So let's take a look at what Paul says. Paul stated that he was happy to be able to answer the accusations against him. So Paul says, I'm glad to have this opportunity to speak to you. I'm glad to be able to address the things that I'm being accused of. He acknowledged that Agrippa was an expert concerning Jewish customs and questions. Okay, so first thing Paul does is, you might say, well, he's flattering Agrippa. No, you need to understand, we've already seen several discussions already. Whenever you, whenever you went before somebody, there was a protocol in how, how you acted, and you just didn't start out telling them like it is. You kind of had to acknowledge who the person was and treat them with respect. And so the first thing he does is he's treating Agrippa with respect and acknowledging that Agrippa that a King Agrippa has the means to understand what the issues are. Now, he's not saying anything false here because King Agrippa is the king of that area of Palestine. He's Jewish. He's half Jewish. So he's very much aware of the religious aspects of the Jewish people, the political realities of what's going on there in Palestine at the time, He's very much aware of all of the issues. He's very much. So when Paul says, hey, you're an expert concerning the Jewish issues and questions, he's not saying anything false. He's just acknowledging you will be able to understand. You'll be able to understand what I'm saying. He stated that the Jews know his background from his youth in Jerusalem. So here's the first thing he says. He says, King Agrippa... If my accusers were here, and if they were willing to acknowledge it, okay, they would say to you that I'm a boy from Jerusalem. Yeah, I'm from Cilicia, but I was basically raised in Jerusalem. They know my background. They know exactly who I am. I'm not just some rebel 
I was one of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was one of them. That's the point he's making here. Because here's what he says. They know that Paul lived according to the strict standards of the Pharisees. All right, stop for a moment. I want you to think about in our culture today, who, what, what kind of groups of people live according to gr- strict standards? Okay, the Amish, okay. Monks, okay. Anybody else? Mormons, okay. Jehovah Witnesses, yeah, okay. So if, if, you, if you were a part of that, and in, in the leadership of the Jewish community, there would be Pharisees there, they would know that Paul lived not as a hell-bound, rebellious guy. They knew that he lived according to the strict law of Judaism. He was zealous for Judaism, zealous for the view that the Pharisees held. He's saying to Agrippa, look, these people know that I was very zealous like they are. So he stated that he was being judged for his hope in the resurrection. So here, understand what's going on here. So Paul is making the issue a theological issue. You see that? It's not that he's stirring up trouble among the Gentiles. It's not that he's stirring up trouble among the Jews. He's saying basically here why I'm being persecuted, why they're seeking to kill me, is because I have a hope in the resurrection which he points out all Jews have a hope in the resurrection. Now, let's just stop for a moment. There were some who didn't believe in that, like the Sadducees who were the chief priests. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But his point was, is I hold on to that hope. And and notice what he says there in the text. King Agrippa, you know this hope. You're aware that this is what we believe, okay? That we believe in the resurrection. And because I believe it, I'm being persecuted. He acknowledged that he persecuted the way and consented to the death of Christians. This is When you read this section, this is a little bit more information than you get in other places in the Scripture. He's basically saying that he persecuted Christians. Now look, I think it's interesting. Right off the bat, where did Paul go to get Christians? If you could think about where where you know that he went, where did Paul go to get Christians, to find them? We knew that he went all over Judea, right, in Jerusalem. Where else did he go? Damascus, okay. Did he go anywhere else? Did Paul go anywhere else? Yeah, okay, Uh, if you didn't have this passage here, based on the book of Acts, you would only think that he just went to Damascus, right? Am I right in saying that? Look at his own testimony here. I think this is interesting. Look at what he says in verse, verse 11. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being in exceedingly enraged against him, I persecuted them even to, what does it say there? Foreign cities. So Paul was pursuing Christians in the nations around Israel at the time. 
Damascus is in Syria. We know about that one. But this is the first time that you and I see that Paul was not just a local guy giving people a hard time. He was a globe-trotting persecutor. He was a globe-trotting persecutor, grabbing people, bringing them back to Jerusalem so that they could have a formal, go before a formal court system, and he would always cast their lots for them to be what? Killed. Did you understand what I'm saying? When it was deciding whether or not to kill somebody, he would always cast the lot to what? Kill them. Wow, this, you find out a little, with Paul's own words, you find out a little bit more what he was like, right? And then when you go over to 1 Timothy, he talks about the grace of God shown to him and that he was the chief of sinners. Yeah, you kind of realize why he says he's the chief of sinners right now, right? Because he basically was a murderer. Did you understand what I'm saying? He was a murderer. So he acknowledged that he persecuted the way and consented to the death of Christians. Consented to the death of Christians. So during his journey to Damascus to arrest Christians, Paul was confronted by a great light. We already know this story. He's already mentioned it a couple times before. We know from the earlier part of Acts the record of this story, we actually see a little bit more information is given here by Paul concerning this story, but he's going to talk about him meeting Jesus. So he's confronted by a great light, which he points out in this passage that those who were with him saw the light too, okay? So this is not just something, a figment of his imagination. Everybody else saw the light. Now, they didn't hear the voice, but they saw the light. Being knocked down, Paul heard a voice that identifies itself as being Jesus. So this light knocked Paul down, but notice the text also says it knocks down all of his companions who were with him. Knocks down all the thugs who were with him to arrest people. And then he hears a voice that identifies itself as being Jesus. Stop for a moment. When you read this, you know who Paul is. You know he's killing Christians. He's going to arrest more people to take them back so that they can go and be executed by stoning. You know he is zealous for the Jewish faith, persecuting Christians. And then you read this, Jesus appears to him. How do you feel about that? What's your thoughts about that? Forget what you know what will happen. What's your initial reaction towards that? Okay, mercy? What do you think, Mike? Yeah, God could have just wiped him out. Yeah. Anybody else? Is that contrary to the way that we think? You should... Should, your response should be like, wow, that's not something you would think about, right? That's grace, isn't it? We don't think in terms of that, but that's grace. God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. He doesn't consult us. Do you think if Jesus were to appear in a, in a prayer meeting in Jerusalem and say, hey guys, what do you think about saving Paul? 
what do you think the folks in Jerusalem would say? No way, he deserves death. He killed my uncle. He killed, you know, he killed my mama. He killed my son. Do you think that they would have been happy about that? But see, God doesn't consult us. He didn't consult them. He just saves because he has a purpose. Did you understand what I'm saying? He has a purpose. See this. So being knocked down, Paul hears a voice that identifies itself as being Jesus. So Jesus told Paul to stand up as a witness to the things that he has seen and yet to be revealed. He says, look, I'm going to send you as a witness. So stop for a moment. This is what blows my mind. He starts out on the journey. He's riding his donkey. He's probably thinking, well, let's go in this part of town. We'll grab them. We'll hold them over here. He's planning out what he's going to do, what to say to capture them. And a a, a light shows up. Boom, gets knocked down. I'm Jesus. It's hard to kick against the goads, Paul. And I'm going to send you as a witness. I mean, hold on. There's not even a chance here for him to, all of a sudden now, you're going to be my witness. Is that radical? That's how God works. Did you understand what I'm saying? If you think about it for a moment, this is a mind-blowing incident. Because just an hour before, he was planning who he's going to capture and kill. Do you understand? This is what's so mind-blowing. Paul tells him, stand up, you're going to be a witness to the things that has seen and yet to be revealed. It's interesting, when you go to 1 Timothy, the very first sentence of 1 Paul, an apostle, he says this, by the command of Jesus Christ. He was commanded, we see it right here, to be what? And yeah, an apostle. This is what we see going on here. This is what Paul's telling King Agrippa. So Jesus promised Paul that he would be delivered from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Now stop for a moment. If you're told to go do something, first of all, you already know that the people who sent you aren't happy about what Christians are doing. And you actually are an enforcer to go and get rid of the Christians. And now Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to be like them, except I'm sending you to do a whole lot more than them. You think you would be worried that all of a sudden that maybe people would be after you? So now Jesus is saying, don't worry about them. I'm going to deliver you from them, and I'm going to deliver you from Gentiles. What would that do for you? Courage is what Mary said. You would be encouraged to go ahead and do it. You're not going to worry about anything, right? Think about how, this is how God is. Let's think about right before he's captured in Jerusalem, before this all happens, Jesus says to you, I'm going to deliver, you're going to appear before me, for me before Nero. You're going to appear before the, the emperor. So what does that do? It gives you confidence as you go through all this stuff because Jesus told you, you're going to go somewhere. That's motivation. So Jesus promised Paul that he would be delivered from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Jesus sent Paul to open the eyes of the Gentiles to salvation through faith. He's supposed to go and open their eyes 
to the reality that salvation comes through faith, not through mindless, empty exercises. Mindless, empty exercises. So Paul declared that he was obedient to the vision in Damascus, Jerusalem, and the world. He says, look, I started immediately, and you know this, as soon as the scales fell off his eyes, as soon as he received his sight again, what did he do? He went into the synagogue, started preaching who? Jesus as the Messiah. So from that point on, he has been faithful to the vision. We can say that, right? We can say that he's been faithful to the vision. And he says this, it is because of this that the Jews seized him in the temple in order to what? Kill him. Hey, because look, listen to me. Paul was the persecutor. And now he's a Christian. Is that good or bad PR for the high priest? Yeah, that, that doesn't look good, right? Do you know what I'm saying? That their poster child for extreme Judaism now is a, a leader in the church that they're trying to wipe out. That doesn't look good. So as soon as they get a chance, they try to seize him in order to kill him. In order to kill him. Now, he stands as a witness to the death and resurrection. Paul is saying here, he stands as a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of all. Now, verse 24 and 26, we're going to see that there's an interaction again with the procurator named Festus. Look with me at verse 24. Now, as he had thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has dri- is driving you mad. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. All right, what's he saying here? Number one, first of all, so you understand, remember now, how much understanding does Festus have of what the Jews believe? How much understanding does he have? Basically nothing, right? So he's listening to this interaction. He's hearing this story about a vision, about this Jesus. He's hearing this, all of this stuff, And first of all, he knows just from the story that obviously Paul is a learned man who has studied the Jewish faith. Now, here's what Festus said. Festus exclaimed that Paul had become mentally unstable from his pursuit of knowledge. So Festus is listening to this and saying, you're mad, you're nuts, you're crazy. It's from your pursuit of knowledge that you're just whacked out. Okay, because and listen, from his standpoint, he's a Roman who has no understanding whatsoever of what the Jews believe. It sounds nuts, doesn't it? Did you understand what I'm saying? It sounds completely Looney Tunes. It sounds he's saying, Paul, you're nuts. Now, Paul saying that he wasn't insane, Paul stated that he spoke 
truths that Agrippa was aware of. He's saying, Festus, yeah, you probably, for you, it's, but, but the king knows what I'm talking about. And notice the king doesn't dispute that in the passage, does he? He doesn't dispute that because the king does know what he's talking about. He is aware of what the Jews believe about the resurrection. He is aware of what's going on here. So notice now, we see the interaction with Agrippa. So this is where Paul interacts specifically with King Agrippa. Look with me at verse 27. King Agrippa, Paul is saying, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Look again. Look at what he's saying here. First of all, he asked Agrippa if he believed the prophets and then proclaimed that he knew that the king did. Stop for a moment. He's saying to the leader of the Jewish people, the the political leader of the Jewish people, do you believe the prophets? Yeah, I know you do. Of course he would say that he did. Why? He's the leader of the Jewish people. Do you believe the prophets? So then notice now what Agrippa does. Agrippa responded that he was is almost persuaded, almost persuaded by Paul to become a Christian. Now there's been a lot of theological discussion over whether or not that's true or not. Actually, history shows that he did not become a Christian. But the point is, is he was listening to what Paul said. And for whatever reason, he decided not to. Okay? Whatever reason, he decided not to. But he is hearing and he is understanding what Paul is saying. That's the point you need to grasp here. And he's saying to Paul, Paul, you almost persuade me. You almost persuade me. Festus thinks he's nuts, right? Agrippa is considering everything he's saying. He's thinking about everything he's saying, right? Okay, so notice now. Here's what Paul says. Paul hopes that all who hear him would respond and become believers in Jesus. He says, I hope everybody who hears me would become like I am, except without the chains. You know what I'm saying? Except without being a prisoner. Yes, that's Paul's hope, is that everyone would respond. Everyone. Everyone would respond. So I want you to notice now with me, let's look at the verse 30 through 32, the end of the chapter. Look with me at what it says. And when he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. All right, so let's take a look here. First of all, with Paul's statement, the king and the officials stood up and departed. So when the king's done, look, it doesn't matter how far you're in your discussion. In that culture, when the king's done, he said, okay, that's it. He stands up. 
The governor stands up with him. Bernice, his sister, stands up, and all the other officials stand up. It's over. The discussion's over. All right? Now, the group, so they leave, and they have a group discussion. The group spoke among themselves and stated that Paul had done nothing deserving of death. So let's stop for a moment. They're making it very clear here that Paul is what? Innocent. That there is nothing going on here, even with what he believes, that is deserving of death. Do you understand? Nothing. And then finally, Festus says this. Festus, Agrippa, Agrippa says this. Agrippa told Festus that Paul might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, yes, that would be true. That would be true if the decision were up to Agrippa at that point to set Paul free. Paul would have been set free. But remember, up to this point, it didn't look good for Paul, did it? When he appeared before Felix and when he appeared before Festus, they all wanted to send him down to where? Jerusalem to answer the charges there where he was going to be possibly more than likely what? Killed. So he appealed to Caesar to make sure that he didn't get sent back to Jerusalem to be killed. But so when you think about what Agrippa is saying here, think about the circumstances, but the fact of the matter is, is he did appeal before to Caesar. Why do you think they're going to send him to Caesar? Why do you think God wants him to, send to be sent to Caesar? It could have ended right here. Why do you think... God wants him to go to Caesar. Spread the gospel to be a witness even to who? Nero. Now who's Nero? He thinks he's God of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? He thinks he's the God. All right? So God has a purpose, and we're going to see that purpose. So our final two lessons from verses, from chapter uh, 27 through the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, are going to be about Paul's journey to Rome, okay? We're going to see some interesting things there when we look at that.